Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion and this is the second episode of our Assessing the Challengers series heading into the F1 2024 season and in this series we discuss the potential challengers to Red Bull in 2024. If you cast your minds back, if you checked out the first edition of this series, we covered McLaren with F1 journalist Ben Hunt. We've got another F1 journalist, and I'm really excited to talk to our guest this evening as we're recording this podcast, of course. We've got the F1 journalist from Formula Nerds, Samuel Coop. And first of all, Samuel, I've got to say congratulations, because very, very recently... You uh, announced on your socials, and it was also announced, that you won the Young Motorsport Journalist of the Year. So congratulations, yeah. Sam. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, somewhat unsurprised. Uh, so, so, sorry, <laughs> somewhat surprising. Um, <laughs> Humble much. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat surprising. Um, also, um, my mates have been very quick to point out that I don't look young. You know, comments such as you look 50 um, and what do you mean young? Uh, so, yeah, believe it or not, I am still just about young. And uh, yeah, I was absolutely thrilled. Yeah, beside myself, really. Um, so, yeah, really, really pleased. Well, should I be uh, a little bit blunt and perhaps potentially rude and ask our YouTube followers to guess which one of us is actually older out of the two? Or should we just leave that one alone? Please be kind, guys. <laughs> uh, I can assure you, for no spoilers, I'm actually older than Samuel. So uh, there you go. Um, that being said, and all the youth and old age jokes aside, uh, the reason why we got you on, Sam, is because we wanted to discuss the next team in this series, and that is the Aston Martin team. Now, Aston Martin, like McLaren, probably considered to have a very positive 2023 season, although for different reasons, it may affect our judgment on how we think they may do in 2024. So before we get into 2024, Sam, what did you make of Aston Martin's 2023 season? It was quite bewildering, really. It was quite puzzling because they came into the year on this you know, wave of optimism, or at least as soon as Bahrain and testing um, was done, we were like, well, okay, you know, they've taken a serious step forward. They clearly took the momentum from 2022 at the back end when they kind of started to get things together after a disappointing start. They took that through the winter and into, into the early part of last year, but then they lost their way. They became very kind of confused 
and there was a, an element of you know the likes of McLaren improving, uh, Mercedes dropping the the no pod effect and starting down a more conventional road. But they seemed to, Aston Martin seemed to also take a step backwards, and they didn't seem to really understand where they'd gone wrong in their development um, package. So it almost felt like the more that they learned, the less they knew about their car. And they had to kind of really arrest that slide towards the end of the year. But yeah, it, it's difficult because it was such a strong year. They went from 55 points in 2022 to 280 last year. That is a huge jump, a brilliant season by all metrics. But yeah, it's kind of left a bit of a bittersweet, kind of a bitter taste in its mouth, in, uh, in the mouth. I mean, from your perspective, uh, for the benefit of our audience that probably hears what you're saying and thinks to themselves, well, a team develops throughout the season. Surely they should be getting faster and faster and faster relative to the competition in theory. Why is it that Aston Martin, in your opinion, as they were developing a car that started the season off as the second best team compared to the uh, you know everybody else, they were the challengers for Red Bull, why did they suddenly start to decline from Silverstone onwards at the point where their development rate was starting to increase? I think really because... Such was their rate of development over winter and in the early part of the year that that was them building onto the car the upgrades and the developments that they understood. They were known quantities that were going onto the car. As they got into the mid-season, it almost felt like these were the more speculative um, upgrades. These were the things they weren't quite sure about. And they somehow did manage to kind of almost develop backwards, uh, which isn't an unknown uh, or an unusual phenomena uh, within Formula One, but it's certainly not one that you would expect from a team of their resources and also given how strong the start of the year was. Yeah, I agree with that. I I also think partly the reason why Aston Martin were so good at the start of 2023, or it seemed that they were so good compared to everybody else, is whilst they did a great job over the winter, at one point they were the fifth or sixth fastest car towards the back end of 2022. Now, they made quite a leap in the second year of a new set of regulations, where, of course, we were expecting gains to be made. They leapfrog Alpine and McLaren. And, of course, Alpine didn't really go anywhere throughout this season. They were very much in their own no-man's land as being Mm. the worst manufacturer team, but better than the Minnow teams at the back of the field. McLaren, of course, saw their problems very, very early, and it took half a season for them to really get to where they hoped they would be. And, of course, we saw that worked out really well. But the surprise was Ferrari and Mercedes. Two very known entities, two very trusted teams that you could have almost bet your house that they were going to be the likely challengers to Red Bull heading into the first race of the season. And they both dropped the ball massively. And that allowed Aston Martin that very rare opportunity, which to be fair, Fernando Alonso in particular grabbed with both hands to become Red Bull's biggest challengers for some time up until the British Grand Prix, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, It was... I think with Mercedes in particular, that win in Sao Paulo for George Russell almost did them a disservice in terms of their the direction because I think it gave their them or, or at least they thought it gave the no pod or no you know, side podless uh, design a new lease of life that there was potential there. And it wasn't until Monaco this year that they were like, okay, no, actually, <laughs> this really is a flawed, flawed philosophy, and it's not gonna, not gonna de- develop in the way that we wanted to. Ferrari, they have everything they need, whatever 
they did over the, the winter meant that the car was particularly difficult on tyres. It was still very quick over one lap, especially in the, in the hands of Charles Leclerc. But in the race, it was this Haas-like effect where they just couldn't get the balance and the temperature right. And so therefore, they could, they weren't getting everything out of the car. I, I, I fundamentally believe it's it's a good car. They just need to, I think, better learn or better set it, set it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. Aston Martin, they, they did a great job. They took an approach and it worked out very well for them. Of course, the decline started to happen for them when the competition started to ramp up, when the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes were starting to get on top of things and finding ways to improve their car concept and also admitting to themselves that what they were doing wasn't working and they had to sort of change things up. That's when you started to see them close that gap to Aston Martin. And and in the case of McLaren, we saw that McLaren had made their changes early, but it was always going to take some time. But when those changes were realised, I think probably the Austrian Grand Prix in particular after Baku and then Silverstone was a real eye-opener for a lot of people in a great way too. You started to see Aston Martin not necessarily crack under the pressure, but they were struggled they struggled to maintain those performances and those gains on development. It almost felt right now, Sam, that this was a team that was making steady progress. And I think if we compare to where they were in 2022, at the start of the season, they were the bottom team at the time. They've risen quite emphatically over the last two seasons, but it's still a team with plenty of ways to go just to maintain the level they're at, let alone catch those teams that are currently ahead of them. Yeah, absolutely. But the good thing for Aston Martin is that the... Uh, the resources and the infrastructure are there. And in fact, really, because of the lag time in Formula One from you know opening a new facility or bringing in you know new technical heads into the team, actually it's yeah, it's a little bit down the road that you see those uh, those gains. And I think we are getting into that window now for Aston Martin, where yeah, last year was good, but there's a lot more they can do. I think also on the driver side, having Fernando around for a whole season, can only be a good thing for them. Weirdly for him, he has been somewhat of a stabilising force, it feels, uh, at the team. He was re- really the only consistent last year. And if you you know look back at 2022 as well, they haven't actually managed to have a year or a season in which they have kept their performance kind of in relative terms. It's been very topsy-turvy. So yeah, they need to kind of consolidate over the winter um, and yeah, find their level and then build from there. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we just discussed this in the McLaren episode where we compared Aston Martin seasons to McLaren's. And in my opinion, I think if you're a team looking to try and make gains in 2024, you would rather have had McLaren season where you'd gone through that yep. turmoil period very, very early on and you found ways to recover that and your development was up there with some of the best I've ever seen in terms of an in-season development in you know, it's regarding to McLaren's performance compared to Aston Martin, where you had a season that started off strong, but it started to taper out. And then there was a lot of struggle, but there was some light at the end of the tunnel. They did experiment and they did find solutions or temporary solutions to their existing problems. It does give them some promise, but you wouldn't be, you know, naive thinking that if you had to be one of the two teams heading into 2024, based on what we saw at the back of 2023, you'd probably rather have been McLaren than Aston Martin. I yeah I I I I can't disagree with that completely uh, on side there because it feels like McLaren had that difficult point and you and, and you know it's, it's cliche but you learn when you're not winning um, and you learn you know you learn from the things that, that go wrong 
and McLaren did that. In fact, they knew that way before the start of the season. They knew that they had taken a uh, a wrong turn in the development race. Aston Martin, they came into the season almost, you know, maybe not surprising themselves, but they, they surprised most of the paddock. And it felt like they never quite kind of got to grips with that. I think that almost became a hindrance for them. And yeah, and then when they started to be more experimental or try and find those kind of more um, incremental gains, they, they couldn't do it. Yeah, very true. In terms of Fernando Alonso, because seeing as you mentioned him a little bit earlier, I think it's appropriate that we should talk about the Alonso factor within Aston Martin. Firstly, w- were you surprised by the level of performance that Fernando had shown throughout the season. What was it? Eight podiums, I think he got, which was incredible. In my opinion, I thought he was the best driver other than Max Verstappen last season. I know some people teeter between him and Lewis Hamilton. Um, Either way, whether he's second or third, it was still, in my opinion, an incredible season. But in addition to that, where we rate Alonso at the moment, did that potentially offset the vision or the the actual opinion of Aston Martin at this point in time? Were we overrating them because of how good Fernando Alonso was driving? I, th- I think we were. I think I, we, we knew that he was every bit the driver he once was from his you know kind of post-sabbatical couple of years at Alpine where he was yeah, pretty unlucky um, and was showing a good you know level of performance. But this year he stepped up, or last season rather, he stepped up and it felt like, and I actually, I did a, I wrote a, an Aston Martin season review um, and I said that this felt like the guy who beat Schumacher twice and then took took the fight to Vettel in an underpowered or under, you know, developed Ferrari. And that I think is 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 the crux of it. This is a man who we've seen time and time again get far more out of a car than than the car wants to give. You know, think back to, to Baku that year. Uh, I think it was, was it 2018 in the McLaren? Where he just, you know, ragged a, basically a broken car to the points. This is this is a, you know, such an incredible driver that it, it does camouflage where the, the car is. And I think Lance Stroll in some ways is a more accurate barometer for actually where the, the car is performing. Yeah, he really was. And... I remember that race. Was that the one where he was um, on two wheels at the start and he was on opposite axles and somehow he managed to get that into the pits? Yeah. And then ended up, yeah, that was, honestly, guys, if you haven't seen that race or watched Drive to Survive, the episode in 2018 in Baku, that is, it's phenomenal. And that just, that's a small snippet of how good Fernando Alonso is at driving a Formula One car. It, It really is something. But I think you're right. Last season, Fernando Alonso was up there with at his absolute best. If it was not at his absolute peak, it was 98, 99% of what he was capable of at his absolute peak, which I agree. I think we're talking 2010 season, 2012 at Ferrari. Definitely shouldn't have been in the picture for a world title. And yet he very nearly won two world titles with them um, in an alternate version of this. Maybe he did, but that's neither here nor there, of course. Um, in terms of Aston Martin going forward, though, obviously, Fernando, I'm still confident that he's going to be a reliable entity for them in terms of everything they do that's successful. But then there's the other side of the garage. There's Lance Stroll. Now, admittedly, of course, we may not have seen the best of Lance Stroll last season. He did have the injury set back at the start of the season and Mike Crack and many others at Aston Martin were saying that was a potential problem for him. But he never really hit the dizzying heights that 
even some of us were probably expecting him to in a car that was definitely capable of more that he was producing. How critical for you, Sam, is 2024 for Lance Stroll? Not necessarily in terms of saving his seat, because I still maintain he has the safest seat in the sport for as long as his dad is <laughs> yeah. interested in running that team. Um, but more importantly, to rectify some some low opinions of him and also to preserve or gain back a reputation that perhaps was lost a bit in 2023. This is the most important season of Lance Stroll's career. And I think he, you know, it, it was unlucky last year. He, yeah, you're absolutely right. He never got going. The 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 injury preseason bled into the year far further than I think people will realise. I think he was driving with pain for a lot longer. And and then obviously that the Qatar incident was not good. Um, you know, there's is there's no defending that. But that again has further hit his reputation. And it's difficult for him because part of what motivates a driver has surely got to be the jeopardy of if I don't perform, I lose my seat. And he doesn't have that to give him that extra kind of whatever, that kind of je ne sais quoi. But maybe the opinions of the press can almost act in that way for him or fans uh, act in that way for him and can help him elevate his game because you're absolutely right. He has a point to prove 74 of 280 points is just not, it's not good enough. You can't cut it any other way. He was so far off the pace of Fernando Alonso far further than he was when he was going up against Vettel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I think for Lance Stroll as well, there is definitely a, a personal reason for him to want to prove, almost to prove to himself that he's still capable of, you know, driving to a level that he feels is satisfactory. Because I think it's more likely that Lance Stroll, well, he's not going to get sacked anytime soon, but it's more likely that he'd probably rather walk away from the sport if he felt that he wasn't delivering up to a level that he himself would expect of himself. Um, it's more of a pride thing, I suppose, than anything else. I don't think he cares about other people's opinions of him, nor should he. But mm. if he can't convince himself that he's capable of mixing it up with the best, now that he's got a car that's capable of doing that more often than not, obviously some questions are going to have to be asked of him. And Aston Martin may have to make those tough decisions on how to see this team going forward. Right now, it's not so much an issue. But I think in terms of the medium-term plan going forward, that is something Aston Martin will have to be aware of because as good as Fernando Alonso is, I don't think we're going to see him do a Max Verstappen anytime soon and try and win the world championship all on his own for the team. I just don't see that happening. Well, exactly. And, and it's interesting, obviously, we were talking about McLaren a little bit earlier. They were also afforded the benefit of having a significantly more balanced drive lineup. They could see where the car was at because Oscar Piastri had an absolute sensational uh, rookie season and Lando Norris is you know very very good as we know so yeah I think for, for Lance Stroll I, he is good enough for F1 people often discredit that they say you know he bought his seat so and so that yeah he you know his seat may have been bought but he is quick enough you know you don't you don't score a podium 
in your debut season in a Williams or in a pole position if you're not good enough. So he just needs to kind of build on that. And yeah, just have a calmer, more measured year. And I think he will definitely close the gap because that, that gap is is not representative at the moment, I don't think, in terms of talent or ability. No, and neither do I. And I don't think Aston Martin can afford to have quite the gulf between their two drivers. I mean, people always say, oh, you know, someone like Fernando Alonso, he outdrives the car, which I personally hate. I don't because it's, it's not possible to. You drive to the absolute limit of the car. And I think Fernando Alonso does that 99% of the time. Whereas Lance Stroll, you can make a case that he is nowhere near that. And and as long as he can close that gap between himself and his teammate, the position and the points will come naturally. He was doing it yeah. towards the back end of last season. We have to be fair to him. His performance was yeah, yeah. improving. So th- there is certainly confidence and there is certainly something there in him. But he has to be doing this more often than not. Um, he can't afford to go two-thirds of the season completely invisible to the competition and completely invisible to the team. They need him in those higher positions. Now, looking at the car itself, Sam, the Aston Martin reportedly was having issues managing its tyres. It was having issues with its straight-line speed. I think Fernando Alonso was quite vocal about its lack of straight-line speed. And also, he pointed out that it had a narrow operating window how easy, and I know this is probably a very vague question, but how easy would you say that would be for them, for people at Aston Martin to rectify these issues? Because these are issues that have plagued many other teams around them. It's certainly plagued Ferrari, it's plagued Mercedes, McLaren obviously had issues like this. How confident are you that Aston Martin can rectify those problems over the winter break to make them a more competitive outfit in 2024? I'm pretty confident. I think if you look at the the hand that they are dealt through suppliers into you know you know power unit as Mercedes. Mercedes also had huge issues with straight line speed, and but I I don't think you can say it's power because if you look at the Williams, <laughs> you know it was a rocket ship in a straight line. So is it something to do with the DRS? Uh, is it you know is it you know I know obviously that's only some of the time, but. There's something in the aero package or in the chassis that, and this is consistent clearly with, with the Mercedes car that isn't getting the most out of that um, that engine. So I think they certainly can because I think the engine is good. I think I think they they need to better understand things. And Mike Crack has basically said that look, we have understood a lot of what we didn't know last year with last year's car. So yeah, I'm pretty confident. I think in terms of operating window, that's a very different, difficult one to to assess because the simulator can tell you one thing, but you never truly know until you get onto track. So in some ways, that battle doesn't start until the teams get to Bahrain. And but yeah, these this is a team that last year looked very very together, very composed, wasn't really making any mistakes in the early part of the year. So you kind of you have to take the conclusion that they will execute well when they can, and so when it comes to operating window, I think they will suss it sooner or later. But they're not alone in that. There's a, there's a lot of teams that have that similar flaw. Yeah, very much so. And obviously, the allure of trying to chase down Red Bull is one thing, but like we saw with Ferrari last season, and even to a degree Mercedes, 
if you go down one route and you think you make gains and then you've completely neglected so many other areas where the real gains are, you find yourselves on the back foot. So it's obviously very important that Aston Martin make sure that, you know, they're prioritizing every potential weakness that they feel they may have and try to make this concept go as far as it possibly can. And that, of course, is also dependent on the facilities that they have now. We know they moved into their new factory at Silverstone uh, midway through the 2023 season. As far as I'm aware, the wind tunnel isn't fully online yet and they're still recruiting personnel. So they are effectively playing catch up at this point, Sam. Now, whilst they have a pretty good technical structure in place at this point in time, for example, obviously Mike Crack at the helm as team principal. Martin Whitmarsh is very much involved at Aston Martin at a senior level. Dan Fallows, formerly at Red Bull, the team principal there. Oh, sorry, technical director, I should say. Um, you know, it, it's a good structure there, but there does seem to be this, um, this, how can I put it, this impression that they are currently playing catch-up. Maybe, like, by comparison to McLaren, for example, who have obviously had a lot of restructuring themselves, but they've got their technical structure in place now with Andreas Stella at the helm, with Peter Pedromu, um, you know, David Sanchez and Rob Marshall, established names already. Their new wind tunnel and simulator up and running and online. The 2024 car has obviously been developed with those uh, at use. Aston Martin haven't been able to do that. So are they already on the back foot at this point? I think slightly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, you're, you're right to mention the kind of trident or three-pronged approach that McLaren is taking to their technical team because I think that, that if that proves to be successful, that will be the way that a lot of teams start to go. It will become the very kind of in vogue um, new way of working uh, for Formula 1 teams. And uh, but yeah, I, th- I think with Aston Martin, what kind of contrasts against some of the competitors uh, to Red Bull, uh, you know the likes of Mercedes and, and McLaren, is that they're not trying to subvert expectations or being a little bit vague. McLaren, they very disruptive PR approach to the the off season, uh, as you know, you wouldn't do that unless you're pretty confident in what you've got. Total Wolf said, has said himself that there's some pretty interesting things going on to the W15 that they haven't seen before, and you know there's suggestions that they've found a couple of seconds in terms of raw lap time. Aston Martin aren't saying anything like that. They're saying, you know, and, and I quote, there's a lot of nail biting. You're always asking yourself, have we done enough? From, you know, Mike cracked, you know, for him to say that doesn't fill me with, with, with a whole, whole lot of, a whole loss of hope. But then again, last year, they very much downplayed things. And as I said before, in terms of, I'm pretty confident in them being able to kind of sort out those issues they had. So yeah, I th- it's it's just a waiting game. I think they will be maybe a little bit further back compared to the other teams chasing Red Bull than they were expecting or w- wanting to be. Don't think they're in the conversation with Alpine, but it's I think for them it will be a case of making in- those incremental gains on on the likes of McLaren. Is the team currently still a bit too fragile when things get difficult? Do you feel that they need to prove this season that they can be more robust when things aren't going as swimmingly as they would have hoped? That's a very, very good question. I think in on one side of the garage, yes. I think... Fernando's side of the garage 
And maybe this is the Fernando factor. I'm trying to cast my mind back to the last year and I can't really think of many mistakes from him or, or, or the team. But yet when it comes to Lance, all those kind of mishaps in qualifying, all those little things, that's where all the bad luck is seemingly channeling towards. So is there something in the makeup of, of, of those two distinct teams within the Aston Martin team that they need to, to, to rectify? Because, yeah, I, I think they're... They're a team that looked very, very comfortable, very, very confident when things were going well. But you're absolutely right. When things weren't going well, there wasn't this kind of, oh, we know exactly what we need to do. We have a plan in place. You know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. It was kind of looking around going, well, I'm not really sure. Do you know? And yeah, so I, th- I think you're right that there there is this kind of central fragility, uh, yeah, fragility to to the operation. Yeah, it's an interesting thought because, as I said, when I was watching them last year, I, I felt, as you rightly pointed out, I couldn't agree more that on the Alonso side of the garage, even when things were a little bit difficult, things were still moving in a positive direction. Mm. You know, even if it was relatively worse than it was earlier in the season compared to the competition, you could trust them to think, you know what, the driver's quite calm. We know Fernando Alonso is usually very vocal when things aren't going well and not yeah. necessarily in, in terms of the positive of his team. It's more to the detriment of that. And, um, you know, Fernando has his ways, but I wouldn't exactly say he was the sort of person to rally the troops and say, OK, we need to sort of get a headstand and get on with it. He's more of a leader by example behind the wheel um, rather than a motivator of men and women, if you like. Whereas on the Lance side of the garage, when there were limitations in the infrastructure and, you know, issues with development. And of course there were supplier chains, logistics and all of that stuff that didn't go in his favor when he wasn't able to get certain parts um, at certain deadlines. It did affect the overall performance on that side. And you could see it was struggling. It wasn't just him. It was obviously everywhere within that half of the garage. So that for me is something that I feel Aston Martin needs to prove to themselves more than anyone else that when they are in a position to challenge for championships and race wins, they need to have everybody in well they need to have that robustness if you like to prove that they can sustain a challenge throughout the course of the season rather than just be great out of the blocks and start to decline as the season goes on and we've seen bigger teams have this problem Ferrari most notably I can think of more than anyone else a team that starts strong but they start to become more of a liability as the season goes on to the point where you just can't trust them to win a championship you can trust them to win a few races but certainly not a championship yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, Ferrari, a great example that it's almost like they get their get in their own heads, you know, especially from a strategy point of view. They they become so, so unsure as to, you know, is this the right thing to be doing? And, you know, you hear it on the team radio, you know, it's just this constant, you know, asking the drivers what should be done is never a good look. But also, you know, you can look at a team like Red Bull without Max Verstappen's dominance, and how good he has been. It, I think the, the conversations around next year would be very, very different because you know, Sergio Perez wasn't good enough. We've seen this lopsided approach and how that can have an effect on a championship. You need a an even perf- level of performance from your entire team. And that's as much on the team as it is on Lance, really. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Um, let's talk about Lawrence Stroll now, the uh, the man at the helm, the man overseeing the whole Aston Martin project. 
How do you feel uh, a few years now into his tenure at Aston Martin, since he bought the uh, massive amount of shares in the Aston Martin Lagonda brand, bringing Aston Martin's name back into Formula One, a few years into this project now, how do you how do you judge it so far? Is it on the right trajectory in terms of the targets? Because the target has always been the five-year plan, 2026, to be challenging for world championships and race victories. How do you see it so far? I'm never really a fan of five-year plans, generally. I, I, I think you, in some ways, you know, setting yourself up to fail. And I, you know, I can't help but think of Alpine who have had so many five-year plans at this stage that, you know, we're 20 years down the road. And is it a five-year plan when they keep changing the starting point to where they're currently (laughs) at? It's not though, is it? (laughs) Exactly. You know, when you're dipping in and out of the sport, you're never going to kind of build anything consistent. Uh, But as far as five-year plans go, I think they're doing pretty well. I think things are looking good. I think he's, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Stroll is obviously a very astute, very very intelligent leader he knows what he wants and what he expects and he's willing to make surprising and difficult decisions you know cutting off Safna out of the team we were all I think quite surprised given how much he was able to achieve with a very very small budget um, through the Force India and Racing Point years so I think things are going pretty well and I think with the partnership that they've got coming with Honda, there's no reason to not look at that and go, you know what, they they will be there or thereabouts unless Honda have a you know a, a McLaren like disaster um, from you know a decade ago. I think they're going to be in the conversation when when the new regs come in in 2026. And speaking of potential partners coming in, uh, last season, towards the back end of it, there were questions starting to come up about Lawrence Stroll's commitment to Aston Martin long term. Uh, for yeah. example, they there was that news report back in November that Aston Martin had welcomed investment from Arcus Partners. Now, they were quite adamant that this was a minority uh, shareholder or minority stake in the team. But it did raise some questions about Lawrence Stroll's commitment. Was he potentially looking at an exit strategy for the team? Now, Lawrence himself was quite firm in saying this is not the case. We just need to bring some more investment into the team on top of what we've already brought with the consortium. We're not trying to look for an exit strategy. Um, It's part of the next phase of this process, I suppose, for Aston Martin, which brings more commercial partners, of course, through their uh, minority shareholders. In your mind, Sam, firstly, do you believe that Lawrence Stroll is still committed to this team long-term. And if he is, how central is Lawrence Stroll to, towards achieving what he sets out to achieve at Aston Martin? How integral is he to making that happen? I think he is committed long-term. And first of all, you know, he's. I, I think it's difficult to judge where his thinking is at because he's never going to come out and say, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about selling shop because that will devalue the team instantly. You know, so I think it's it's always difficult to kind of get an accurate read on that. And yeah, as I said, he's a, a very astute businessman. He's he's going to be a difficult man to read. He's going to be a difficult man to negotiate with. But I do think that he is committed. But I think that there are um, there are restrictions to that. There are you know there are conditions. 
is Lance still in the sport? Is he is he happy in the sport? And that cuts both ways. As long as Lawrence is in the sport, Lance has a place in the sport. But if but if Lance walks away, is Lawrence going to stick around and go? You know what? I'm going to continue to spend, devote a lot of time and pump more money into this when it feels a little bit like the whole idea was we are going to win a world championship together. This is going this is going to be our dream. This is going to be something we achieve as a father and son. Which is weird because at the moment, if anyone's going to win a world championship at Aston Martin, it's going to be Fernando Alonso. So yeah, it's kind of that, you know, difficult, difficult thing to assess. But I do think he is in it for the long term, at least till the new regulations and the and the Honda partnership comes in. I do think he is also pretty critical to how things run. I don't think they 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 can't be success after Lance, uh, sorry, after Lawrence Stroll, but I think it will take a very, very different form because, you know, as you say, he's the one who brought Aston Martin or the Aston Martin name back in. The whole direction of the team is contingent upon Lawrence Stroll. I think so too. And for me, I must admit, I am incredibly impressed by what Lawrence Stroll has been able to achieve in Formula One. And I'm not saying this um, in the hope that he'll give me a job working there or invite me to a tour of the factory, <laughs> anything crazy like that. Um, I, I genuinely believe it because uh, I think we've seen so many um, philanthropists or playboy billionaires or millionaires, anyone that you can think of that has loads of money and wants to invest in a Formula One team. Majority of them have been there and done it or tried it or at the very least explored the possibility and 99% of them fail more often than not for the same reason because they underestimate how much of a mammoth task it is to not only run a Formula One team but run it well let alone put it on a project like what they're doing right now to try and be successful and and to this point they've actually been pretty good if we're at the halfway point of this five-year plan if you like I I think it's been pretty good and for me there's three prongs to this with Lawrence Stroll why I don't think He's going to be leaving anytime soon and why he's committed to this Aston Martin project. First things first, when he comes out and talks about a five-year plan and he and he does this sort of presidential address of the nation that he does every year with Aston Martin, um, we all know, we've all seen it, um, and he does that, I don't see someone going to the efforts and the lengths that he has done with those addresses and the things that he's saying only to then walk away halfway through this project. Secondly, I don't see someone that's invested as much money as he has invested into this walk away before it starts really paying back in dividends. I don't think it's paid back yet, but I think because of the revenue streams increasing in Formula One with this new franchising model that it's currently adopting and also the value of the team is going up and up and up. I think it was Financial Times and Reuters valuing in the Aston Martin team at about a billion dollars, which is pretty impressive at this point. It's certainly not up there with the most... Um, are affluent, I suppose, in terms of values of F1 teams, but it's a long way from those that are a little bit worse off than them. So they're doing well in that regard. And thirdly, most importantly, uh, this is, again, this is someone that I feel that he's absolutely confident, more so perhaps than he was when he first acquired this uh, the team when it was Racing Point, that they are going to be successful. And I just don't see someone put that much time and investment into it and not actually want to see it to the end of it. Or at the very least, Sam, until 2026 where they could become a championship challenger completely and i always felt that if you look at the what was the midfield in terms of mclaren aston martin and alpine that it would be aston martin who made the jump and it was 
until McLaren did. But I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the the level of commitment and yeah, and 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 in terms of the the, the savvy of the Aston Martin name and and the value that that has brought the team. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the kind of this presidential like. Um, way of operating that he has because I was actually thinking the exact same thing I was going to say that I think what has made him such an effective operator is that he's willing to surround himself with intelligent people who know what they're doing know what they're talking about and know Formula One and I think a lot of people in in his position would maybe not do that or would they think you know what I've bought myself an F1 team I'm going to you know do it myself or I'm going to be really critical in the decision making i feel like it, it very much seems like he outsources that to people who are experts in their disciplines exactly and as we've seen in the past great leaders like toto wolf and christian horner have championed that approach and they've been very successful as a result i mean as i said i'm a, I'm a big fan of what he's done um for no you know gain or whatsoever i am actually impressed and if he doesn't want to be an f1 team owner then he should be a bond villain because he has that aura about him and uh, I think he'd be yeah. brilliant at that sort of thing. <laughs> he really would. I, yeah. I could easily see Lawrence Stroll being a Bond villain. He, he's got a swagger about him, doesn't he? Like mm. he 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 scares me a little bit. Or doesn't? <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 on edge slightly when I see him on screen because I'm like, if he gives you a dressing down, like and as he has in the past when there have been kind of PR mishaps or, or certain rumors, and he comes out and addresses them, like the. Uh, the copied break uh, ducts oh, and, yes. and so yep. on and so forth. And he is straight to the camera going, no, nah, this isn't it. You're wrong. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that front. Yeah, more power to you on that one if you have to interview him, Sam, honestly. <laughs> the man has his aura. Very impressive <laughs> stuff. But um, obviously, you know, rounding this all off when we're talking about Aston Martin's chances for 2024, 2026 is very much still the target with them. I don't think they've ever said anything to us that's made us feel like they might deviate away from that. Even at their heights of 2023 early on, they still maintain 2026 was the target. But are they ready for 2024? What does success look like for Aston Martin in 2024? So I was weighing this up before we started recording in terms of what would a good year look like. And initially, I, I, I felt they need to take a step forward. They need to best either McLaren, Ferrari or Mercedes, whoever you know falls back in relative terms, assuming that Red Bull don't have a complete disaster. But actually, I, I think they need it needed to be a winter of consolidation. I think it needs to be a season of consolidation as well. If they can stay in P5, not lose too much ground in terms of points, to those ahead, I think they can be happy with that. Basically, they can hold off Alpine or whoever ends up in P6. I think that would be a good year for them. Because again, you're absolutely right. This is a medium term. We are in the medium term of a longer term um, project here. And they it's all about setting the foundations at this stage for the new era, for the Honda agreement, so on and so forth. So yeah, I think that would be a good year for them. I agree. I, I was thinking about this too, and I thought, you know, Aston Martin, if they were to put a position in Constructors' Championship standings for them, where would they feel they would be to be considered a success? I think if you offered them P5, 
with the condition that they are much closer to the leading teams than they were towards the back end of 2023, I yep. think they'd probably consider that a success. Not a resounding one, like they would have considered perhaps last year compared to where they were before that. Um, but a success nonetheless, because you're right, they are focusing on the long-term goal here. We're not quite in the end game yet. We are still going through that uh, that five-year plan. We're still around halfway through it. So there are still many stages to go. And maybe, maybe they need to see a tangible benefit that they are pursuing or they are embarking on that next stage of this process that they're on. That would be enough for them to consider it a success. I, I suppose... Lance Stroll getting more uh, championship points on the board than he did last season is probably a good way to measure that. Fernando, it's a case of just keep doing what you're doing, in my opinion. Oh, oh, completely. And I think why I think they'd be happy with with not treading treading water by any means, but by standing their ground is because if you cast your mind back to a year ago, when they launched the 2023 car, they were saying, we're not podium ready we don't think we're going to get podiums. And then as you say, to get eight of them over the year is, you know, nothing to kind of, you know, turn your nose up at. It's almost like they jumped the gun a little bit. They went a year too early or earlier than they anticipated. And then actually the back half of the year was kind of falling back into where they thought they would be. So yeah, that's why I think another year like last year in terms of points uh, and performance would be, yeah, more than enough for them at this stage. Of course. And if they're not scoring 280 points and getting eight podiums like they did last season, I don't think they should panic unless, of course, they are a long way uh, below where they were in terms of their standards. But we'll just have to wait and see. I think it's going to be an interesting one to see how they progress. If I'm honest, I think they're probably the least likely of the four teams that we're covering in this series to challenge Red Bull, purely for the reasons that we've highlighted. I think they're not quite there yet, but they could be... Yeah in the next few years. I suppose the last question we have to ask before we sign off, Sam, is whilst 2026 is the target, is that too far away for Fernando Alonso? Does he need something now that he's capable of winning a world championship? I I think it would be foolish of me to say that it is too far away because in a kind of Tom Brady-esque way, he just keeps on defying convention. The, you know, put it down to sports science, put it down to a, a, a host of other factors. Drivers are racing for longer and further into their 40s. And I don't think you can say that he's not going to be around when he's 45. I just don't, I just don't know. He seems like such an intelligent driver that for anything he loses in physical ability, he'd be able to make up in, in, in that kind of savvy, in that, that race know-how and race management. So I don't think it's too far. However, I do think he will win a race before 2026. I think oh. he will get to that that point. Championships, I think maybe is is asking a bit much. But yeah, I think he is going to keep, like I think he might plateau at this level, but it's not a bad level to plateau at by any means. No, absolutely not. And uh, I would love to see it. I would love to see Fernando win a race. I'd love to see him win another world title. But the latter, it may be too... Well, Aston Martin may not turn up to the party in time to give him that. Exactly. And also, will Yuki Tsunoda come with the Honda partnership? Will there be a place for a Fernando? So, mm. 
it's funny actually because um, we are planning to do a 2025 grid prediction episode and that is certainly something I was thinking about when I was drawing up my potential grid for 2025. Not necessarily would Sonoda go into that seat in 2025 but you do have to consider Honda coming into the Aston Martin team for 26. That could be a factor as it has been in the Red Bull programme. But Sam, I think that's probably the best way to end this episode. Of course, guys, if you want to follow more great work from Samuel Coop, just check out his socials. We'll leave the links to those in the show notes. You can follow him on Twitter at Samuel T. Coop. And of course, make sure to get the spelling right because you'll get our other friend and colleague, Samuel Cooper, uh, as well. But both of them, great guys to follow on this one. I can't believe he had the audacity to try and ask you to share that award with him just for the namesake. Uh, I... I, I almost respect the uh, the, the attempt, the forward uh, nature of that. Um, I get on well, really well with Sam. In fact, a lot of my friends are like, "But, but why? You have like the same name. Surely there can only be one." I think they kind of like the idea that we're going to have this fight to the death uh, to be the last uh, F one journalist standing. But no, <laughs> he's 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 a great guy, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 sure that that award has his name on it in the future. Oh, absolutely. If it doesn't, then uh, I may have to go down there and write it on them myself for him. But uh, nonetheless, guys, of course, uh, that's all we've got time for for this episode. We've still got two more episodes of this mini series where we're going to be covering Mercedes and Ferrari's credentials to challenging Red Bull. But until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, please stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.